We re-emphasize the fact, I don't want to say we've learned, we learned last week because hopefully we've known this for some time, but we re-emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ is the only Redeemer. Not religion, not a philosophy, not being a Baptist, not having a church membership, not Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad. The only Redeemer is Jesus Christ. And we took a look at what the, what the results of redemption were, and that was forgiveness of sins and wisdom and insight into the ways of God. This morning we're going to be talking about the proof of our faith, Ephesians 1, 15-17. And if you're physically able, if you'd stand in reverence to God's Word, please. This is God's Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul some 2,000 years ago, speaking through Paul today at Victory Baptist Church in 2013. He writes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the Lord our God, I'm sorry, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge of Him. And I'm just going to leave it right there. I know there's a comma, but I'm just going to leave it right there for today. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing of His words. You may be seated. <clears throat> the first thing I want us to see this morning that, that, that Paul was sharing with them is, is he was... He was talking about their faith. He was talking about their faith. Now, their faith wasn't in just anything. Their faith wasn't in a religion. Their faith wasn't in a philosophy. Their faith wasn't in a work ethic. Their faith wasn't even, faith wasn't even in a human person, if you will. It wasn't in the Apostle Paul. They had faith, and it was an authentic faith, because their faith was in Jesus Christ. See, we can have faith in a lot of things today to get us through this world and to get us through eternity, but if our faith is not in Jesus Christ, it's a false faith. If you put your faith in John Hodge, and guess what? Sooner or later, I'm going to let you down. And I'll tell you right now, my faith's not going to get you to heaven. You can put your faith in a church. You can put your faith in victory. Guess what? Victory will let you down because the church isn't perfect. Victory, victory as a church did not die for the sins of the world. Victory, in a sense, is not the son or the daughter of God. Now, we talked about adoption before we've been adopted into the family. But victory can't save anybody. Being a Southern Baptist, you hear me say all the time, we're a Southern Baptist church, but I don't brag about the Baptists because there's too many Baptists in jail and too many Baptists going to hell and in hell already to, to, to be bragging on the Baptists. Our faith, what saves us, if you're here today and you're, you're saved, is the only authentic faith that there is, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking head knowledge. Oh, I believe in Jesus. You hear me say all the time, the book of James says, says that the demons believe everything and they tremble. Right. Paul's telling them he's been hearing about their faith, not in just anything or in anybody, but he's been hearing about their faith in, in Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind, it's been four years, about four years from what uh, the scholars tell us, since Paul had been to Ephesus. Ephesus. I keep wanting to say emphasis, but I know that's the wrong thing. But about four years since Paul had been to Ephesus, and he's in jail right now as he's writing this letter, but he's telling them, I have been hearing about your faith and about your love. Here, he's pretty much, he, though he was in, a, in what, was, what you'd call pretty much a home a house arrest, he was allowed visitors. 
He was four years removed from them and Lord knows how many miles, but he had been hearing testimony as to the faith of the Ephesian church in Jesus Christ and their love for each other. It was made, their faith and their love was being known throughout the Roman world. He says, your faith, now in the Greek, a better translation is that, is the faith among you. And what I'm getting at here is Paul saying the church as a whole had tremendous faith in Jesus Christ, okay? The faith among you, meaning the church as a whole had faith. That means there were some in the church that didn't have faith. Or maybe not as much faith. And folks, that's the way it is even to this day in church. I believe as a whole, there's faith in the church at Victory Baptist. But at the same time, I've been in the ministry long enough and stats bear out the fact all of us here don't have faith. There are some of us here today, and I don't know, you know, again, it's just, it's just experience and, and, and stats bearing it out. There are some of us today in, in this church that at, at one point in time put our faith in being a church member, or put our faith in, in, well, I live the golden rule, you know, or put their faith in being a Baptist, or put their faith in the fact that I've been coming to church, uh, you know, for, since nine months before I was born because my mama took me to church while I was in her stomach. They put their faith in all these things except the one that their faith should be in, and that's Jesus Christ. I say that hopefully so that if, if, if there's any of us in here that are like that, that maybe today the light will click on. My my last church, I had a, uh, had a gentleman one Sunday, 76 years old. I gave the invitation. 76-year-old man said, I've been, came forth and said, I've been coming to church all my life and I thought I was saved because I was doing all the right things. And he said, I realize today, God's Holy Spirit told me today that I've lived this last 76 years lost and I know I need to get right with God today. And you know what I'm talking about? Stats, stats bear out that that the older you, the further away you get from 16, 17, 18, the harder it is or the less likely it is you're going to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But here we had the 76 year old man. He went from putting his faith in, in what his mom and daddy maybe told him and what his Sunday school teacher told him and, and you know, the fact that he was a good church member. Yeah, I've had a lot of older folks, and maybe, maybe some of you older folks here remember this. I've had a lot of older folks tell me when I was a child in church, it was never to put my faith in Jesus Christ and give my life to Christ. It was to become a member of the church. You know, the invitation was always, we'll, we'll, we'll come join our church. You know what? You can join 20 churches if you want to, and if you, you die and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've not put your saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're still going to die and go to hell. Paul said, the faith among you. Well, let me ask this morning, what kind of faith do you have this morning? What kind of faith do we have this morning? Is it a living faith? Well, preacher, what do you mean by living faith? Is it a faith that we live out daily in our lives? Everybody's been here long enough to, 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 to know that, that when I talk about faith and when I talk about our relationship with Jesus, we're talking about living it out, working it out each and every day, looking for opportunities. Well, first of all, to, to live as holy a life as we can before God. But secondly, to be looking for opportunities to witness, to be looking to, for opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ, for, for looking for opportunities of being, if you will, Jesus in the flesh to people that need to know Him. That's a living faith. Do you have a living faith this morning? We're getting ready next Sunday night to start a study uh, entitled, Follow Me. 
Title's right, right? I get his books mixed up sometimes. By a fellow by the name of David Platt. David Platt, Francis Chan, we've done studies on them before. And if you came to the studies, you, you know that these guys are talking about our, what they call a radical faith. But all they're talking about is returning to the faith of the first century church, the book of Acts. Amen. You know, that's what they're talking about. But, but some of their critics have turned it into, well, they expect everybody to sell everything they have, to, to become poor, to, to adopt an orphan, or, or to move overseas and do this, that, and the other. And a lot of the critics, all of them that I've read, have said the same thing. Well, what about the faith of, of a mom and dad who go to work every day, do what they're supposed to do, and they take care of their kids? And on the surface, folks, that sounds... That sounds... Hey, that, 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 that makes sense. But I can read other places where Jesus says, how many of you, if your child asked for a loaf of bread, you'd give him a rock? Or if he asked you for a fish, you'd give him a serpent? What I'm getting at is, just, hey, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to be faithful to coming to church. But my focus right now is on my career, my job, and my family, and raising my children up. That's what the rest of the world does. A true faith means that we step out and, and God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what shape this is going to take. But next to my, you know, my relationship with you comes first. And God, I'm not saying you want me to pack up and move. I'm not saying you want me to, 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 to change careers. I'm not saying you want me to give you everything, want me to give everything away. But Father, I, my faith tells me that I need to be doing more than, than what's quote unquote normal. A living faith means that we're seeking, as I said, opportunities to serve Jesus Christ. And you know what? When we do that, we should have our kids with us. Like I was talking about the shoebox. Something as simple as if you have a neighbor who, who, who's sick and, and needs a ride, or, or who's sick and needs a ride, who needs to go somewhere and needs a ride, or who's sick and you want to bring a meal to them. That's, if you're doing it in the, name, in the name of Jesus, that's a living faith. And you bring your kids, you bring your family with you so they see Christianity lived out. Amen. It's one thing for us to, 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 to sit at home and sit in church and say, hey, this is what Jesus tells us to do. But it's a completely different thing to then go out and do it. And that's what faith is. Faith is living out. Faith is doing what God's called you to do. You know, do you have a living faith this morning? Have people heard of your faith this morning? Have people seen your faith this morning? How about the faith of our church? Do people know out there, whether they go to church somewhere or not, do they know that the faith of the people of Victory Baptist Church, that they've got a living faith? In other words, they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. It might be imperfect, they might stumble and fall, but it's, they're just not running the mouth. They're walking, at least trying to walk the walk. And, and folks, keep in mind, I'm not talking about just keeping the doors open. Because there's probably at least 10,000 churches right now on this very Sunday morning that have got their, got their doors open and God's Holy Spirit left a long time ago. That's right. That's right. Because everything they've been, that they've been preaching and teaching has either been just, just with the mouth or they're, they're, they're preaching things that, that, that aren't true. Right. 
And folks, we're going to start seeing that more and more now as our government is giving in more and more and more to, 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 to things that go directly against the Word of God. Paul talked about the, the, the fact that in the final days, people would turn with, with itching ears. They, they turn to people that would tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. There are a lot of churches out there today that will tell you, you. Whatever you believe, folks, you can probably find a church somewhere that believes what you believe, but that doesn't mean it's what the Bible says. So I'm not talking about keeping our doors open. Well, hey, look at the faith we've got. You know, we can keep our doors open. You know what? We can keep our doors open as long as people keep writing the checks and throwing them in the offering plate. But do people see the faith of our church? Is there authentic faith here? If we were to close our doors with, with the community, not, not us, because, hey, I go to Victory because it's convenient to where I live. But what I'm talking about is, is, is the, the faith of our church as a whole so great that if we were to shut our doors, the community would be at a loss. And they would sense it. Not talking about just keeping the doors open. What, what kind of faith is there in our church? Is it authentic faith? Do we really trust God to come through? Do we really trust God to pay the bills? Do we really trust God to meet our needs? Or is the faith in our church? And I'll be honest enough to, to say this today because I've seen it played out uh, wherever, whether I've been, been in church as a member or whether I've been a pastor. There are, there are segments of every church family that their faith goes in what the balance is in the checkbook. Well, if the checkbook says this, well, it doesn't matter what God's calling us to do because we ain't got the money to do it. That's not faith. Faith is, yeah, it looks like we can't do it, but God's called us to do it, so we're going to step out in faith and we're going to trust God to make the provision. Amen. You know, that's what true faith is. That's what living faith is. That's what the church at Ephesus had. Our faith is in Christ. What kind of faith do you have? Who is the object of your faith? Is the object of your faith the Jesus of the Bible or a Jesus of your own making? And you might be saying, well, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? A Jesus of our own making. So many people have, have, a, have a Christ of their own making. And in doing that, they're practicing idolatry. You look at the world today. You've got folks that believe in a Jesus that says, if you name it and claim it, God's going to give you Cadillacs, cash, and condos. And if you don't have it, it's because either you're in sin or you don't have the faith. There's a segment of folks out there that, that, well, it might not be to that degree, you know, as far as Cadillacs, cash, and condos, but they believe if you're not jumping pews, swinging from chandeliers, rolling on the floor, drooling like a dog, then, then God, you're not saved. God's Holy Spirit isn't with you. There's another segment of, the, of, of religion today, I don't want to call it the church, that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how long you've done it, you can keep on doing it, but as long as you say you believe in Jesus Christ, everything's fine. There's a segment that says, you know what? You don't have you can pick and choose like, like you're going to, uh, to to the K and W cafeteria or the Golden Corral, pick and choose what you want to believe about the Bible and what you don't want to believe about the Bible, but it's all good. You know, you can live however you want to. You can marry whoever you want to or not marry whoever you want to. You can do whatever you want to, live whatever kind of life you want to. But as long as you say you've got faith in Jesus Christ, you're fine. Folks, that none, of, none of that is, is, is a living faith. None of that is a faith placed in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Right. 
Because my Bible tells me that the Jesus Christ of the Bible is the God of the universe, that He created all things, and that, the, and that He gave us the written Word. So if He is God and He wrote it all down, who are we to change it? I had a dear, dear friend in high school years ago that uh, it was when my dad died many years ago. I went, went and was catching up with folks while I was back home and, and, and this one good friend of mine and Tammy and, and she was talking about some of the things her and her husband had been through and, and a deacon at their church had helped them out so much and she was telling me what a godly man he was and then, then she added that, that, that he was gay. And I kind of, you know, okay. And she said, well, John, what do you think about that? And I said, well, we know what the Bible says. We know what the Bible says. And she said, but, but he's doing all these good things. And I said, look, I'm not debating the fact, because I knew who she was talking about. I just never knew it when I was living back home. I said, yes, he's a good guy. According to the world, you know. Yes, he's, he's doing good things. And yes, he did an awful lot to help you guys out. But God's Word is still God's Word. And she said, well, don't you think that that the Bible needs to change to conform to society. And this was a young lady that when I first started out as a Christian, I mean, her faith was... I mean, I was asking questions that, that I'm sure my brother wanted to punch me in the mouth sometimes. You know, I love you, but that's... You know, don't even think something like that. But over the years, she had developed a philosophy, if you will, that as long as you throw the name of Jesus in there, and you act with love, and you act with charity, and you act with compassion, well, you, you, you must be a Christian. And I told her, I said, it's not a matter, it's never been a matter of society, uh, of God's Word conforming to society. It's about society conforming to God's Word. Amen. And so if you have a faith, if you worship a Jesus that, well, this is what I believe God should do, or this is what I believe Jesus should do, guess what? You're practicing idolatry. Because you're not worshiping, you're not putting a living faith in the Word, of the, in the word and the will of the Creator of the universe. In, in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And he goes on to say, he, he says, I've heard of your faith in who? Not just your faith in Jesus, but your faith in the Lord Jesus. Which brings me to another question this morning. Is your faith in Jesus? Or is your faith in the Lord Jesus? Because there's a difference. Okay? Jesus can mean anything to anybody, but the Lord Jesus, Lord is His title. King of kings and Lord of lords. And as a king, as a ruler, if you've given your life to Him by rights, He has authority over everything you say, everything you do. Everything we have and we are and we're going to be needs to come into conformance and into obedience as to what our Lord calls us to do. Amen. There's an old saying out there that, you know, if He's not your Lord, He can't be your Savior. And folks, that is biblical. There are folks out there who will say, well, that will say, well, you can put your faith in Him as your Savior right now, but as you mature, then you can begin to trust Him as your Lord. Folks, that, that's a saying straight from the pit of hell. Anybody that takes God's Word and twists it by God's authority and by the testimony of the Scriptures, you can tell that they're false prophets and that they're heretics and they're not preaching the true Gospel. Because they're, going, they're using the same tactics that Satan used back in the Garden of Eden. 
He didn't flat out say God was a liar. He didn't say, well, let me tell you where God was wrong. What did he, what did he say to Eve? Did God really say this? And if you read that in the old Hebrew, it's kind of like asking the question, did God really mean what He said? Did God really mean this? And, and that's what we're hearing so much today out there in the world of folks that perceive, uh, folks that are religious, folks that perceive themselves as Christians. Well, that's not really what God meant. This is what He meant. And folks, you need to be careful of this because this has just started popping up the last 100 to 200 years. And it's become even more prevalent the last 40 with, with the gay movement. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to beat, uh, beat that to death, but it, it, it's the most prominent thing going on right now. The, 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 the liberals today will tell you that you can throw out the first four books of the Old Testament, Genesis through, well, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I'm sure I got them mixed up, because that's all just myth and fable. You can throw out anything that, that Paul wrote, because Paul was a, uh, 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 was a male chauvinistic pig, and he was a homophobe and a hater and everything else. But, and then they say, but everything else in between, you know, we, you just decide on your own. If it feels right to you, it's right. If, if it doesn't jive with what you believe, that's fine too. Folks, that's, that's only been going on really the last couple hundred years. For, for 2,000 years, the, 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 starting with the apostles and then the early church fathers and then even the early church believed if God's Word said it, then God meant it. They had, a, they had a, a mindset, if the Word of God makes perfectly good sense, seek no other sense. They'll try to tell you, well, He can be your Savior, but He doesn't, he, but he doesn't have to be your Lord, or He can become your Lord later on. No. If you're truly saved, if you truly have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've truly been born again, if you've truly turned from your old life to a new life in Christ, He's not only your Savior, He is your Lord. And if you're not ready to accept Him as your Lord, you cannot accept Him as your Savior because the two are inseparable. There are, and again, I said there's some that say it comes in two parts. First, your salvation, then it becomes Lord. No, it's impossible. To paraphrase John MacArthur, he says, the more obedient we are, the more we give into God's Lordship. The less obedient we are to God's Word, the less we give in. But it does not change the fact that He is Lord and Savior. What changes over time is whether we are increasing in our first love or leaving our first love. Pretty simple. He's always Lord and Savior. The two are inseparable. The more obedient when we get saved, we are to His Lordship. The more we exalt Him as Lord in our life. The more disobedient we are in saying, well, that part's not for me. Well, guess what? He's still your Lord and Savior. You're just being disobedient to Him. Well, our faith is in Christ, and with a true Bible-believing, soul-saving, Jesus is my only Lord, is, is the only Lord and Savior, faith comes love. He said, I've heard the faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Folks, we need to remember that love is a verb. We can say we love Jesus all we want. We can say we love our neighbor all we want. We can say we love our relatives all we want. We can say we love our spouses and our children all we want. But if there's not any action behind those words, guess what? Doesn't matter what we say, we don't love them. 
It doesn't matter what we say, there's no love, on, love in us. The book of James, in the book of James, James says, you know, somebody, I'm paraphrasing there, one part of the passage says, some of you say, you know, I'll show you my faith. And others say, well, I'll show you my works. And James says, well, and again, I'm paraphrasing, James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, I'm not just doing this. If I've got true faith, I'm not just doing this, but I'm doing this, I'm going. I'm walking, I'm doing, I'm serving. I'm physically loving. Love is the work of faith. And, and folks, this type of love is genuine. And Paul says right here, he's, you know, he, he's, he's, he's acknowledging the fact that the church at Ephesus was noted for their love. As your pastor, one of the things that, that, that just blesses my heart excuse me, and just makes me want to bust out is when I go to visit somebody that has been a guest at our church and they say, the minute I walked through the doors of this church, I felt like I was loved. I felt like I was at home. Everybody I came into contact with. You know, there, uh, uh, the, uh, Scott and, and, and uh, uh, Cheryl, uh, they're not here today. They've been coming the past two or three weeks. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it was D or Cecil. Uh, but the first day they came, one of you guys was out in the parking lot, and I think they thought we actually had guys out in the parking lot greeting folks in the parking lot. Because when I I visited them, they they said that tall. I'm no offense, brother, but it must have been D because they said that that that, that tall, thin African American guy. And I said, as soon as we got out of our car, he greeted us, said he was happy. Hey, I, I've not seen y'all before. You must be guests. Welcome to victory. They said, as soon as they got out of the car, then they said, as soon as they hit the porch, there were people there. Then they said, when they hit the double doors there, there were two ushers. And then when they came in, you know, folks were going up to them and saying how glad they were that they were here. They said, we could see, we could tell right off the bat that, 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 that victory is a loving church. Love is genuine. People can sense when, if you're new to a church, or even if you're not new, you've been there for a while, and somebody goes, hey, hey Crystal, I love you. You know, that's... People know when love is genuine, when, 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 when love is real. Here, the church at Ephesus was noted for their love. But we know some 30, 40 years later, according to the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ would admonish them for leaving their first love. Here Paul's praising them up. 30, 40 years later, John through Jesus is going to say, you, 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 you've lost it. How many of us have, as Christians started out strong? We started out strong. We were on fire for God. We were on fire with love and compassion and caring for other people. But over the years, we've, we've lost our first love. You know, we were talking in Sunday school just now how, how sometimes people, when, when, when people come to, come to Christ, they're, they're on fire. And there's always, there's always the cold water committee in the church when somebody says, hey, look at how on fire they are. There's somebody at the church that says, well, well just give it some time. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll, 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 they'll temper it and they'll know what Christians are quote-unquote supposed to do. 
No, what Christians are supposed to do is the fire, the flames are supposed to be continually fanned until either God comes to get us or He calls us home. I used to say I think sometimes the best thing that could happen for a new Christian is to remove them from the church for the first year of their lives so they don't, they, they don't get discouraged and depressed by, by the cold water committee and by the naysayers of the church who by virtue of the fact, well, I've been a, I've been a Christian since Noah and the ark. Well, you know what? That doesn't mean anything if you're not... If, if, if you're not showing the love of Jesus Christ. Folks come into the church, they get excited, they want to serve God, and, and, and people get jealous. Well, who do they think they are? They think they're better than us? They think they're holier than us? No, they're being obedient to the Word of God. Amen. The best evidence of our love for God, talking about first leaving your first love, starting strong, but leaving your first love, the best evidence of our love for God is not the love that we claim in other words, not the love that we talk about, but the love that we show so that others can see it. That's the proof of our love there. It's the love we show so others can see it. Jesus Himself said that others would know that we were His followers by the love we had for each other. With true faith comes love. Love's a verb. Love's genuine. Love, love, love knows no boundaries. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I love them in Christ. And you know what? I know this is kind of rank here, but whenever I hear that, I want to say, well, the old BS meter is going like this. Because if you just can't say, I love them, then guess what? You don't love them. If you say, hey, well, I love them in Christ, what you're saying is, you know what? I actually I don't like them. I could care less for them. But since the Bible, yeah, I can't stand them, but because I'm a Christian and, and we're supposed to love everybody, I'm going to say what, it, what, what, what everybody wants to hear. You know. If we can't just fly it out, if I can't say, Rachel, I love you, then i got no, no business saying, Rachel, I love you in Christ. That's the hallmark of some churches. Everything's qualified. Well, I love you in Christ. Well, love knows no boundaries. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. I'm still going to love you. That's where it gets harder. I will admit that. When somebody, especially outside the church, and you're, you're sharing the love of Jesus with them and, 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 and things aren't going the way you, you expect them to go. Yeah. And sometimes we need, to put a, we, we need to put a stop to helping them because we don't want to be enablers. But the question is, do you still love them even though they're not coming to Christ? Our kids, you know, if our kids continue, continue to make bad decisions, that they continue to sin, are we going to withhold our love from them or say, I've had it with you, I wash my hands of you, I don't love you anymore, stay away from me, or are we going to love them? I'm not saying we, we encourage what they're doing or even help them doing it, but do we honestly love our kids? Because if we don't love them through the bad, we don't really love them through the good because we put parameters without saying it on, on, on what our love is. Same thing is true with our spouses. You know, love, is, love is genuine and love knows no boundaries. And then, which leads me to this next part, love, true love, is sacrificial. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to share 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, 1-8. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'll become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but not have love, I'm nothing. 
Though I restore all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That's a stark change from the world today that says, if you don't love me and you don't love what I'm doing, then you're intolerant and you're a hater. True love means you're going to speak the truth, you're going to speak it in love. When my boys were smaller, and if they were playing out here on, on, on Telegraph Road and somebody came to me and said, hey, your, your boys are out there, you better do something. And I say, well, you know what? I love my boys so much. I'm going to let them make their own decisions. I'm going to let them play out there. And if they get hit, they get hit. You know, and if they don't, great. Is that showing them love? No, I'm going to speak the truth. Probably do a little bit of beating the truth if I have to. You know. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love is sacrificial. This is the way we show our, that our faith is real by loving other people. Not just those apart from Christ, but especially those in Christ, those of the family of God. And again, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll, I'll share this. Galatians chapter 6 Verse 10. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. I marked it in Corinthians in my Bible, but uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. I marked it in Corinthians, but it's in Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. So it's not enough just to put on, if you will, the show and, and, and help the poor and the needy and the lost out there. True love means we're going to especially be showing it to the brothers and sisters here in our own family, in our own church family. With faith comes love. With love comes thanksgiving. In verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. You know, there are some churches out there today, and y'all might think I'm getting kind of bold today, but maybe I am. There are some churches out there today that are a blessing to God. There are some churches out there that are a bother to God. Right. It all depends on if they have their faith in the right thing and if they're showing their love in the right thing. Are there people today that give thanks to God for our church? Are there people in our church today they give thanks to God for our church. Again, would the community notice if the doors of our church closed? Is God thankful? Is God pleased with what He's seen in our church? I'm not asking, are we perfect? I'm not asking, are we sinless? I'm asking, is God pleased with our church? Do people offer thanks to God for our church? Is God pleased with what's going on, with what we're, we're at least attempting to do, though we might stumble and fall, but we're still trying to move forward with the love of Jesus Christ? Are there people that give thanks for you? As Christians, are there people, do you think that there's anybody that in their prayer time, they give thanks for you and how God has blessed them through you, through what you've done for them? If you can't think of anybody that... that and I'm not talking about generic stuff. 
Well, yeah, they give thanks to me because I sit next to them in church or they give thanks to me because they know I'm a Christian. I'm talking about are there people that give thanks to you because you Jesus has blessed them through something you've done, through something you've said. Because if we can't think of anybody, then you know what? We need to get on our knees before God and ask God what's going on in our lives. Is there anybody in your life that you constantly give thanks for? And I'm, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say, other than the pastor. Okay? I know, I know it, 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 it's, it's a given that... And I don't say that arrogantly, but I know it's a given. There are some folks that, that give thanks for their pastor. There's some folks, some of y'all that pray for me every single day, and I need it. You know, truth be told, I probably need it more than once a day. And I'm sure there's some of you that do that. But, I lost my point there. Is there anybody in your life that you're constantly giving thanks to God for? God, I'm so glad You put this person in my life and this is why. Or, or, or God, You blessed me so much through what this person is doing. You know, as, as the pastor, I can stand up here and, and, and say... Though I don't do it as much as I should, I, I try to give thanks on a regular basis for every one of you guys. Because every one of y'all has, has been a, a blessing to us since we've been here. You know, there, there are some of us that, I guess the best way to put it, are, are, are more engaged with us. And that doesn't mean that if you're not more engaged with us, you, you, you love us less or you don't appreciate us. It, it, it's just where everybody is in this stage of their life right now. But, but I, I try to give thanks on a regular basis for, for everybody, for the blessing you guys have been to us over the past nine years and, and some of the struggles you've seen us through and you've supported us in and you've lifted us up in prayer in, and for the help you've given us, not just, not just as a pastor and his family, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. Who who are praying for people and and lifting us up when we need lifting, encouraging us when we need encouraging, helping us when 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 we need help. But is there anybody else other than the pastor and his wife that you constantly give thanks for? And if not, why not? Is it because you're not engaged with them as much as you should be? Is it because you're not engaged in church as you should be? Or is it because you're the type of Christian, well, I'm going I'm, 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 I'm to do it all on my own. I'm not going to let anybody know I need help. I'm not going to ask anybody for help. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and grin and bear it. And you're miserable because God's put people in your path that He wants to use to minister to you, to encourage you, to support you, to lift you up. But you choose to not only be stubborn, but you're being disobedient to God because God's saying, I want you to share this with somebody. I want you to tell this person what you're going through. I want you to tell this person what you need or what you're dealing with right now. Nope, God, I'm going to do it myself. Just me and you. You know, and then we ask, well, God, why didn't you help me? And God's like, well, I put this one, this one, and this one right in your path, and you didn't do anything. It's like that. I, I told us a few weeks ago, that little, little boy on the, bar, on, on the roof of the barn. And he knows he's going to fall, and he starts praying, Lord, please keep me from falling and hitting the ground. And he loses his balance, starts falling off the roof, and when he gets right to the edge of the roof, his bib overalls get caught on a big old nail, and he goes, Lord, never mind. You know, 
God saved him with, with the nail. He made the provision. You know, if, if there are people that we can't constantly give thanks for, maybe we need to check ourselves and, and, and ask ourselves why. And maybe it's because we're not giving people an opportunity to bless us. Had a situation uh, when I was down in South Carolina, still studying for the ministry, and one of my seminary professors, he was an old retired fellow, uh, fixed income because he was retired. I filled the pulpit for him for... I think about six weeks. He had a grandson that was very sick. His wife was a registered nurse. They, they, they went back to where their, the son and daughter and grandson were. And when he came back, he handed me an envelope one day and, and there was a check for a couple hundred bucks in there. And I showed Tammy, I said, I can't take this. I, I, I said, he, I know they can't afford this because of, his, because of the income that he's on. I said, I know the church is hardly giving him anything. I said, as a matter of fact, I know there have been weeks where the church hadn't paid him anything. I said, he can't afford this. And Tammy says, well, go talk to Pastor Jim and see what he says. And so I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I can't take this. And he looked at it and he said, and keep in mind, if you haven't met Pastor Jim, he's not one of these name it, claim it guys. Okay? But he looked at it and he said, why not? And then I went into the same discussion that I went into with Tammy. He's on a limited income. They've been gone for, for weeks. So the church doesn't pay him half the time anyway. I know they didn't pay him while he was gone. And Pastor Jim looked at me and said, he would not have done it if he couldn't afford it. And he said, if you don't take this, Two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to hurt his feelings. And number two, you're going to steal his blessing. He, would, he, he's, he and his wife are getting a blessing by, by giving to you. And he said, never try to steal someone's blessing. What I'm getting at is if you're here and you're trying to deal with everything in your life all on your own, because hey, I'm, you know, I don't want anybody to know anything, you're depriving People being blessed by serving you, by, by helping you. You know. I still have a hard time with that, but I've gotten better about it. You know. Last point. Our faith is in Jesus. With faith comes love. With love comes thanksgiving. With thanksgiving comes prayers. He says, I don't get, cease to give thanks to you making mention of you in my prayers. How much time did the Apostle Paul spend in prayer? How much time did he spend in prayer? And kind of what I'm getting at is how much more did this man have to pray about in addition to giving, offering up prayers of thanksgiving for people? And I'm not saying that it's a waste of time because it's not. But when you just, just when you think of everything Paul had to pray about, with everything Paul had on his plate, he still said, "I make mention of thanksgiving to God for you in my prayers." So not just them, the the the, the Philippians, uh, the Colossians, even the Corinthians, his problem church. He was giving thanks for them. You know, how much more did he have to pray about other than that? Maybe more, if you will, important things. 
How much more did, he, did Paul have to deal with as a, as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a church planter, as a mentor? You know, he had to deal with the Corinthians and, and their fleshliness, their carnality. He had to deal with the Galatians who were reverting back to legalism. And, and I believe it was Philemon. He had to deal with a, a, a slave and an, an owner situation. He had to deal with problem children. He had to deal with problem churches. He had to deal with persecution. He had to deal with fear of death. He had to deal with imprisonment. And then back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where I had it. That's why I had it marked there. <laughs> 23 through 28. He says, "...in labor more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often." and hunger and thirst and fasting often and cold and nakedness and besides all these other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches how much more did this man have to pray about other than thanksgiving yet he said I offer up prayers of thanksgiving for you all the time with true thanksgiving comes prayers what kind of prayer life do we have this morning? Paul had all these other things he was dealing with and he prayed about those, but yet he still had the time to lift individual churches and individual people up in, in, in prayers of thanksgiving to God. That tells me he put some time in prayer. What's our prayer life this morning? What's our prayer life like this morning? Folks, I've been saying this more and more lately, and, and, and I know the scripture, the scripture verifies it. The work of our church, the faith of our church, the strength of our church lies on what we do on our knees. Lies with what we do on our knees. The work is done on our knees. The work of Vacation Bible School wasn't everything we did that week. The work of Vacation Bible School was done when people were praying the, 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 the days, the weeks, the months ahead of Vacation Bible School. And what happened that, that, that Monday through Sunday with Family Fun Night, that was just the natural outworking of all the work that was done on our knees. The strength of our church rises and falls on our prayer life. And if we're truly thankful for something, if we truly love something, we're going to give thanksgiving. If we're, we're truly thankful, we're going to be in prayer. We're going to be in, not only in prayers of thanksgiving, but, but all the other kind of prayers that, that go along with it. And notice, you know, everything Paul, Paul talked about, as I just talked about there in Corinthians, and, and even here in this passage uh, in, in Ephesians, if you read on through, through verse 23 of this chapter, he did not one time, and I'm not saying this isn't important, but he not one time prayed for healing. He not one time prayed for freedom of persecution. He not one time prayed for an easy life. He not one time prayed for riches. He not one time prayed for popularity. But yet he was praying for higher things. 
And when we do pray, what are the things that we pray for? Again, the strength of our church rises with our prayer lives. But what do we pray for? And you know, I don't. when we pray on Wednesday evenings, sooner or later, it gets to, and then the majority of our prayers are, Lord, bless this one. Lord, heal this one. Lord, help this one with this. Lord, help this one with that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Those are needful. But when the majority of our prayers are, 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 are things like that, things that are basically saying, make life easier for this person, and, 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 and we hear nobody praying about, Lord, save this one because they're dying and going to hell. Lord, bring our church to revival. Lord, lead more people to prayer. Lord, send more people out into the harvest field. Lord, break us as a nation. Lord, break us as a church. Lord, break us as individuals. Lord, search my heart and, and, and know my ways. See if there's any iniquity in me. Lord, break us so we've got a heart for evangelism. Break us so we have a heart for missions. What's wrong with us? When the majority of our praying is... Make our lives better or make their life better. Again, I'm not saying that that's not important. But yet we see by the example of Paul, he was praying for the higher things. What good is it going to do for somebody to get healed and they die and go to hell? What good is it for somebody to be able to pay their mortgage and they die and go to hell? What good is it for somebody to have an easy life get a promotion, but they die and they go to hell. What good is it for us as a church to open our doors every Sunday, but we don't have a heart for the lost? We don't have a heart for missions. We don't have a heart for our own personal holiness. God, convict me where I'm living or where I'm doing, where I'm saying, where I'm acting, where I'm watching things that, that, that are completely opposite of, of Your will. Where, where I'm claiming a, a, a life and freedom in Jesus Christ, but yet I'm living, I'm living an unholy life. I'm living an unrighteous life because Monday through Saturday I live, I work, I act, I think just like the world. But yet we're asking God for all these other things. What good does it do us, church? Paul said, I've heard of your faith. And he knew that it was true faith, not just because of the words, but because he saw the love that was being shown, that was being, if you will, dispersed throughout the known world at that time. And because, because there was genuine love, Paul was giving thanks for them. And if we've got genuine love in us, folks are going to be giving thanksgiving for not only us as individuals, but us as a church. And with thanksgiving come prayers. Not just prayers of thanksgiving, but prayers for the higher things. Prayers for the things of God. Prayers for the spiritual things. Prayers for the eternal things. As opposed to, and I was joking about this yesterday, man, we didn't pray hard enough for it to be overcast yesterday. 190-some degrees with the sun shining this way and then reflecting off the bricks. I was saying, hey, we should have prayed for, uh, we should have prayed for overcast. You know, pray for our comfort. You know. If we're truly, if we truly have love, if we're truly thankful, we're going to be praying for the eternal things. And we see right in this passage, 
where when Paul was praying, he didn't pray for, for a nice soft pew or, or, or air conditioning or, or that people have a nice easy life. You know, I'll share with you, I mean, quickly here and then, I, then I'll quit. You know, this is what he was praying for. I've got it right here. We're going to go into it next week. That God would give them the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation and, and their knowledge of God. That, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. In other words, that God would give them more wisdom and discernment. The hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory uh, uh, of His inheritance in Christ? That, that we would know more what God's plan is and, and what everything's going to... And the fact that we need to be about His business because of how glorious everything's going to be when the end finally comes. And he's praying that they would come to know the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. In other words, that they would come to know the power of God not, not just to provide our needs, but the power of God to come through in situations where if God don't do it, it ain't going to get done. To know the power of God and that His plan sooner or later one day is all going to come to fruition. And everything He said was going to take place in that book is going to take place. All the folks that God says are going to get saved, all those written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And when that last person gets saved, that last person on earth who God has ordained to get saved, then it's all going to come to an end. And when I say all come to an end, I'm not talking about a bad end for us that know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm talking about entering into the, to the glories of His eternity where we won't have to worry about, if you will, a soft life. We won't have to worry about our comfort. We won't have to worry about the bad things that are being done to us or were done to us or said about us or are being said about us. Because human history will be at an end and eternity is going to lie before us. And you know to me what the, the great thing is? We sang about it earlier today, and it's in that song, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When, we, when we're there 10,000 years, it's going to be like our first day in heaven with eternity all in front of us. Those are the things Paul was praying about. Those are the things we need to be praying about. Not... Saying forget the other things, but the focus of our prayers, if we truly have faith in Christ, if we truly have the love of Jesus, if we're truly thankful for what God's doing, and what either on His own or through other people, we need to be praying. God needs to, we need to have a heart to, to, to be praying for these higher things, these spiritual things. Because you know what? That house is going to rot, that automobile is going to rust. That money is going to be worthless. That boat, I don't know how long it takes fiberglass to rot, but that'll, that'll be rotten one of these days too. You know. Who is your faith in this morning? What is your faith in this morning? Is that faith being shown in your love for other people? Is your love being shown to the extent that people are giving thanksgiving for you? Are you thankful enough that as you're praying with thanksgiving for the things God's doing in your lives and, and for the people God's put in your lives? Or are, are, are we praying for the higher things? For people to get saved? For there to be workers out in the harvest field? For there to be missionaries out there? For, for us to be asking God, put somebody in my path today that I can show the love of Jesus Christ to? 
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. 